Morning, y'all. <laughs> Beloved, I'm a closet country guy. I'm just kidding. Uh, welcome this morning. Um, we're going to look, and I, I hope you're good with this. We, we looked last week at John 15, and Jesus stating that he is the true vine. Uh, this week, I want to focus on the vine dresser and the branches. And I want to do one more week in John 15. That's good with y'all. And then we'll conclude our I Am series with Before Abraham Was, I Am. And then we'll break. Our Sunday school break for winter. Okay? Is that all right? All right. Let me pray and I'll read John 15, um, 1 through 6. Father God, thank you for your loving kindness, your long-suffering, your mercy, the precious gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who upheld your law in our place, laid down his life in our place, died in our place, has raised in our place, was raised up victoriously. We might have life in him. Help us to understand more of that today. For your glory in Christ's name, amen. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it, may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This ends our reading of God's word this morning. John says at the end of his gospel, I could have written so much more. <laughs> I have, could have written much more. Uh, but what I wrote, I wrote that you might believe. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life in him. You might have life in Christ. All of which shows us, of course, that Jesus is the only Savior. Um, he is the only way to the Father. Um, he is the truth, um, he's life, he's the door, he's the great shepherd, he is living water, he's bread come down from heaven. But here in chapter 15, um, the, the ultimate metaphor really for, for being in Jesus is here um, being connected to the vine. I am, Jesus said, the true vine. I am the genuine vine. Everything that came before me, 
um, in type and in shadow um, was good um, in a sense. And it was meant to show that, that something was needed to properly fulfill all of those types, shadows, and images under the old covenant. The actual fulfillment, Jesus said, is here. Okay? I am the, the true vine. I am life. Now, no one had ever said such a thing with regard to the future of Israel with such authority that I am the true vine. Because remember, the vine represented the nation of Israel. Jesus came and he says, I supersede Israel. I am the fulfillment thereof. It all points to me. And you, you are the branches. And as I said last week, being a branch is something that's realized in our lives um, after the Holy Spirit does the regenerating work that he does to provide us life in Christ. We were once dead, but we've been made alive, we realize that our dependence is entirely in and through him. So branches get their life from the vine. The vine gives his life to the branches. He sends his life into and through those branches, and ultimately they, they bear fruit. They manifest fruit. We're not called to produce fruit, we're called to abide in the vine because we're in him, and therefore um, fruit appears, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, so on. So now between Jesus and the believers, um, there, there's a vital life-giving connection. It's very clear. So Jesus not only switches the focus of the vine metaphor from Israel to himself, um, he declares that Israel is not the vine. All she ever produced were sour grapes. Everywhere in the Old Testament, always, almost always, when Israel's made reference to as regards a vine, it's always in the negative. Here, Jesus said, I am the true vine. And notice, my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser. He's the one who has the overall responsibility, if you will, to ensure fruitful growth. So Jesus, the vine, the picture is the vine grows out of the dirt. That's a beautiful picture of the incarnation, is it not? For God created man from the dirt. Jesus, the God-man, condescends, comes to earth. He's the vine that comes out of the dirt. He is incarnate God. And we are in union with the Father through him, the vine, the God-man, the last Adam. And we're given life. So it's a beautiful picture. The vine dresser is the Father. He's the owner um, of, of the garden. He's the owner of the, of the vineyard. And he's involved in two ways as per our text. Number one, um, notice he, he takes away, that is, he, he cuts off fruitless branches, and secondly, he prunes fruit-bearing branches. So that, that's our focus this morning, the work of the vine dresser. 
And notice there are two kinds of branches. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, now notice the the phrase um, in me or of mine, as the NASB translates it, um, has prompted um, a lot of speculation with regard to what John has in mind here. Um, Some say that these are um, one-time believers who, who lost their salvation. And often, with difficult passages, by way of the process of elimination, as we look through this thing critically, we can dismiss what the text is not saying. So, quickly, um, the first, and this comes from um, a heavy Arminian view um, over the years, um, they have argued that the removed branches are Christians who've lost salvation. Salvation they once had. Eternal life that's not eternal. But that's the problem with with man-centered salvation. If there's something I can do to, to earn it, then there's something I can do to undo it. To lose it to forfeit it. When we look at scriptures, Romans 8, for instance, those whom he has predestined, he also called. Those he's called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has also glorified. It's as good as done. John 10, Jesus said, I give them what kind of life? Eternal life. And that life is everlasting. It's it's a position. It's everlasting life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It's not even worth spending any more time on the absurd theory of that first example. Secondly, some teach that these are people who are saved, who bear absolutely no fruit um, in this life, and that the breaking off of the branch depicts their being judged, that is, taken away or, or dying in this life, and they're taken away and not bearing fruit, they, they face the judgment of lost rewards. Okay, they're saved, but they just lose eternal rewards. Um, th- this is where the erroneous teaching um, comes from, that you can be um, a, a believer but not a disciple. You ever heard that? You can accept Jesus as as Savior, but not serve him as Lord. Have you ever heard that? Well, it's out there. They attempt to justify um, their position by making up a category um, referred to as, as, as carnal Christianity. Carnal Christianity. There's no such category in the Bible. nor does it fit the context of this passage, which is, what, which is what we're after this morning. The crystal clear purpose of this verse is to insist that there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. 
Amen? Without some measure of fruit. That is fruit of being in the vine. In the vine, there's life. The life of the vine flows into and through the branches and ultimately bears fruit of the vine. Some Christians have more fruit than others, amen? Yeah, amen. As I said, you may have to lift up the branch and peek. And you see some in there, but it's there. So the third option of, of, the, um, of mine or in me would be apostate Christians. Those who, who profess something at one time and walk away because they're not truly in the vine. They, they profess. And the question is, can one who professes to be in Christ bear no fruit and be a true Christian? Not according to Scripture. Fruitfulness, okay, fruitfulness is the infallible mark of true Christianity. It's fruit of the Spirit. Now, we'll all admit, with regard to the fruit of the Spirit, we aren't what we want to be yet. Amen? I don't always talk to my wife like I should, as per one who's in the vine. And you can fill in the blank as regards fruit of the Spirit. But, but there's fruit. What else is a fruitless branch but dead wood? Dead wood. As a matter of fact, vine wood, according to Scripture, vine wood is good for nothing but burning. Vine wood is not even good to, to cut and stick in a wall as a cup holder, according to Scripture. Listen to the words of Ezekiel. I apologize I don't have these references of Scripture on the screen for you today. I have them for the sermon, but not for... Sunday school, I had a problem with my computer um, this week. It's very frustrating. I don't know that I manifested fruit of the Spirit <laughs> in the trial, but conviction came upon me. Amen, Anne? Yeah. <laughs> Listen to Ezekiel 15. Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? The vine branch, which is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make an object? Or can men make a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Instead, that means no, instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both ends of it, and its middle is burned. It is, use, is it useful for any work? Indeed, when it was whole, no object could be made from it, how much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? Vinewood. Those with no fruit is deadwood. Deadwood. It's only good for burning. Not even burning, but for kindling. For kindling. Kindling. So he, he takes away. Um, the Greek word is iro, this taking away. 
Iro is used 24 times in John's gospel, and it might be rendered um, take up or lift, as it is eight times. So some therefore say, they conclude that this lifting up is a picture of the vine dresser lifting up a fruitless branch that's, that's laying in the mud, and they lift it up to tie it back into other branches in order to get sunlight and therefore bear fruit. The same word, Iro, is rendered take away or remove 16 times in John's gospel. And according to verse 6 here, John 15, a a non-fruit-bearing believer is like a branch that is taken away and thrown into the fire. It's a picture of judgment. The reason people run into difficulties here is that they forget the immediate context. Context, context, context. So we we mustn't forget the setting, in other words. It's the upper room, chapters 13 through 17. It's all one night, upper room. Jesus started out with the 12. By the end of the night, there's 11. We'll see that the dead wood is no longer in the room. Jesus told them during the foot washing, back in chapter 13, verse 10, that they were clean, but not all of you. Not all of you are clean. So the fact that Jesus clearly states the condition of unproductive branches, he he says they're taken taken away and they're burned, verse 6. That recalls for us the one who had already been cut off, Judas. And remember, it was Jesus who ordered him out of the room. The moment he took that last morsel, we read that Satan entered him, and immediately Jesus said, what you do, do quickly, go. He had to obey, and Satan within him had to obey. Because again, Jesus had to die on time. And that was according to his divine timetable and not man's. Because remember, they didn't want to crucify him during the Passover. Jesus said, I will be crucified at Passover because I'm the Passover lamb. Crucified before the foundation of the earth. So it's not too difficult to understand Um, the meaning of the Lord's um, analogy here, especially in light of what's just taken place with regard to his own um, disciples on this night. You have one fruitless branch that had already been removed, taken away, Judas Iscariot. So, within the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, any local community of, of faith, any local church, Um, there does appear from time to time to be women and men who appear to believe, right? We we, we, we call it, you know, wow, they're really on fire. It's one of modern-day evangelicals. Wow, they're on fire. They're on fire for the Lord. You know, they came to faith, and they just kind of took off like a rocket. 
They get involved in this, they get involved in that, and then down the road somewhere, they disappear. They're nowhere to be found within any local community, and now they deny Christ by saying things like this. It's just too narrow. I believe God who's loving accepts anyone who, who genuinely has some kind of faith. Have you ever heard that? That's apostasy. For anyone, 1 John, who does not believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, they are of the, of the Antichrist. That does not mean that they merely believe he came in the flesh. To, to believe Jesus came in the flesh is to believe what he did in the flesh. He upheld God's law. He laid down his life, was crucified, dead, buried. He, he was raised on the third day. And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he rules and reigns now and forevermore, and he will come back in glory. And he is the only way. To deny that is to believe and be infected by the spirit of Antichrist. All roads do not lead to God. Dead wood. Dead wood. So many, not unlike Judas, never revealed or manifested true fruit, and they never will. Look, there's no such thing as someone who's been gloriously, supernaturally regenerated of the Holy Spirit. Someone who was dead in transgressions and sins and brought to spiritual life, who, who, who now doesn't believe, and bears no fruit of the living vine, we conclude it's a said faith. It's a said faith. Anyone can say that they believe. So if the branch does not bear fruit, one of two things is wrong. Either there's something defective in the vine, or there's a problem with the branch. You know, Jesus made a distinction many, time, many times between the sheep and the goats, wheat and the tares. And he says, um, I'm going to send my reapers, and they're going to come, and they're going to separate the two. And one group is going to be taken and thrown into the fire, and the others kept because they're mine. Listen to John 2. Now, we've seen this throughout John's gospel. In John 2, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw what? The signs that he did. No denying his supernatural signs. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. In other words, they merely said to believe, surely, this is the Christ. As a matter of fact, let's make him king by the time we get to John 6. As a matter of fact, why don't you turn to John 6? Let's look at a couple verses quickly. Uh, verse 2. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet. 
who is to come into the world. Verse, then Jesus goes on and he does some pretty intense teaching. And by the time you get to verse uh, 60, we read, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can listen to it? Verse 66, but there are some of you who do not believe, Jesus said, for Jesus knew from the beginning um, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And then by the time you get to verse 70, we read, uh, Jesus uh, answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas Iscariot. And of course, in this same text, when Jesus was talking about you know, eating his blood, uh, drinking his blood and eating his flesh, um, they couldn't handle that teaching any longer, and many of them went away. That's when Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you want to follow them also? Peter said, Lord, we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. So the majority of this massive group that was following him. Remember, he fed the 5,000, just counting men plus women and children, and they followed him around the Sea of Galilee that next morning. And remember when they showed up, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, seek me, not because you saw the signs and believe, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. That's why you're here. You're back to be foddered up. That's it. To this very day, there are intruders and invaders within the true body of Christ. There's dead wood within a branch setting who are directly tied into the vine. They're like clouds that have no water. They have an outer appearance. They're very leafy. You can be leafy and have no fruit. <laughs> Amen? And it will happen until he comes back to separate. Okay, so that's the first part. Here now, on the other hand, he continues with his uh, true 11 fruitful branches. He says, and every branch, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. Prune means to clean or to cleanse. Clean. Fruit-bearing branches are going, to be, are going to be pruned back. So we can imagine the vine dresser, the father, um, in your mind, pacing back and forth in his vineyard, observing what's there, what's not there. And as we bear fruit, um, he, he prunes back even more in order to provide more abundant fruit. And many times as Christians, we respond with what? Ouch. Ouch. So the word translated prune, verse 2, is the same word translated clean, verse 3. Katheros, from where we get our word? Catharsis. And the point is that the Father will regularly be purifying those that are His, true believers, for great spiritual productivity, spiritual fruitfulness. 
He, this is the work that he does. He begins this work. He continues this work. He will complete this work. And we who are um, being worked on, as we'll see, um, greater fruit manifests itself as we go through certain kinds of pains, struggles, trials, and temptations in this life. So there is no lopping and there is no throwing into the fire like fruitless branches. He simply cuts back. He snips here and he snips there. So anything that's going to draw life from the vine like like flower clusters or sucker shoots, he snips them off. It's a beautiful picture. So you're positionally clean. Okay, this is the idea. In Christ, you're positionally clean, you're justified, but you're not practically clean. You're positionally holy and perfect, but you're not practically perfect. So he, he goes to work. Notice verse 3. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remember what Jesus said during the foot washing once again. You're clean, but not all of you. Judas. So Jesus qualifies the exception with, with but, in chapter 13, but not all of you. Deadwood, again, was still in the room. He's ordered out. Here in chapter 15, verse 3, he would say they're all clean without exception. You're clean. Because you're in me. But we still need pruning but there'll never be an occasion for taking away and being burned. Amen? You will be pruned, but you won't be taken away and burned. If you're in the vine. You have life everlasting. If you're in the vine, it's everlasting life. And it's everlasting. So how then does he do this pruning? That's the next question. First and foremost... He prunes by way of his word. What did Jesus pray when we get to chapter 17? Father, sanctify them in the truth for your your word is truth. Because the word challenges us. It cuts us, it reproves us, it corrects us, and it edifies us. It assures us. It's rich. This is why I believe most people today that claim to be Christian are not comfortable with expositional preaching. Because you can't escape particularly difficult or or hard texts. So they seek storytellers and humorists and entertainers to get away from expositional preaching, which cuts with the sword. You ever feel that? I feel it every week. Knowing I have to get up and preach to to the body, I'm already cut and diced. Because, oh, I have to preach this to God's people? I'm unworthy to do this. Amen? Of course we're unworthy. Um, He primarily, okay, so he prunes back, he cuts back by way of the word. Uh, Primarily, I believe... 
as you look at all the scripture and life itself, um, he prunes back by way of trials. Trials. I just read an article, a friend of mine, just read it this morning. She sent it to me uh, via email uh, that, that she wrote. And it's a sister of mine, and some of you know her, who's been through, man, trial after trial after trial, heavy trials for the last decade. And she tells a story in there about <laughs> a fellow Christian sister who said, yeah, we went on vacation, and God blessed us with a great trip. He blessed us with a great place. He blessed us with our plane being on time. He blessed us that we got our bags. He blessed us with this, and he blessed us with that. And the question is, so if everything didn't go well, he didn't bless you? She has serious arthritis. Her, her husband deserted the family, and on and on and on it goes. So I was really, I didn't even read it in detail. I had to kind of rush through it this morning. But I'm going to go back this afternoon and read it. She gets it. Because she goes on to say how blessed she's been through it. And trials will prove. It will, trials will show themselves whether one is a true branch or not. Deadwood. For we are all his workmanship, amen, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So his painful ministry of pruning um, sometimes comes by way of the word, by the way of trials, and some by, sometimes by way of, of chastening. For God chastens those he, he loves. Now, who loves being chastened? I don't. That I know. And we're called to do good works. I hear sometimes hear Christians, professing Christians, disparage good works. We had a group of those kind um, come through here um, a few weeks ago, and um, they say, hey, man, the work of Christ is done, and if I'm in Christ, I'm justified by faith alone, and he, when he sees me, he sees Christ. Amen to that positionally? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where they stop. So it doesn't really matter, they say, whether I'm productive or not, because if you're going to preach like that, well, that's preaching works righteousness. That is such nonsense. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It doesn't earn you anything. It gives glory to the vine as a branch. Jesus constantly calls his people to bear fruit. Go, make disciples teaching them to observe all I have that you've been instructed to do. Make disciples. So those who stay close to Christ receive that nurturing, they receive that, that discipline, uh, that, that growth in the word, and it results in productivity, fruit-bearing. Okay, now since we're almost out of time, I want to close with something that 
I said I would read to you today, which I said last week. And it was an article I, I read recently, which I think perfectly illustrates what we're talking about here, um, having to do with growth um, that can be sometimes painful. And it comes from a magazine um, about um, vineyards and wine. It goes on to detail how um, if you plant a grapevine with no stress, it won't go, grow grapes, it will only grow leaves. Listen to this, and I'm quoting. Normal irrigation techniques can make vines too lazy to produce top-quality fruit. However, a new technique developed jointly by British scientists from Lancaster University and viticulturists from the University of Adelaide takes advantage of the fact that struggling vines concentrate more of their energies on fruit production. Partial root drying involves irrigating one side of the vine while letting the roots on the other side undergo a period of drought lasting 5 to 14 days. Then the irrigation is switched to the other side, and the cycle continues so that at any one time, part of the root system is always under water stress. This causes the roots to send signals to the shoots, the plant hormone, abscisic acid is involved, that tell them to concentrate on grape production, not growing leaves. As well as improving grape quality, this system also reduces the amount of water used by the plant. An added bonus is that there's no loss in yield, a trade-off that normally has to be made with enhanced grape quality. But that was interesting. So, and I continue, the best wines come from vines that are bunched closely together, that have water withheld from them. They're stressed to just the right point that they produce the best grapes possible. And the best vine dressers, the best vine dressers, are the ones who know exactly how much stress to put on those branches. They know exactly when water should be applied and when it should be withheld and then this article closed and, and said this. He says, when you taste a good wine, it comes from stressed grapes. Making it a good what? Oh, that was a good year. <laughs> Having to do with weather and the stressing of the grapes and so on. That's our lives. Right there. So I don't know what your stresses may be this morning your anxieties, your troubles, your trials. Um, your branch, who is in the vine, is Jesus Christ, he, the ultimate vine dresser, God the Father, knows exactly how far to stress you. And he'll go no further. Then he must. Amen? He knows just how far to bunch us up against all the difficulties of life, and we see this throughout the scriptures. And he does so even because, even though it's painful at times, 
and it is, we'll all agree with that, he knows the fruit that's going to come out of that. This he has in mind, and, and therefore we can call it a blessing. So your life and my life in Christ, we are on track because we're in union with Christ. Um, in the end, we might not say it now, but in the end we'll say, wow, that was a good year. Amen? Amen. So next time, beloved, um, we'll look at verse 7 and following. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Through this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 8, to prove to be. Amen? Lord, we thank you that, that you are your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the true vine. Thank you that we are branches. Thank you for um, all that you have taught us thus far in our Christian lives, and I pray that uh, as you continue um, to do a work in us and through us. Lord, give, give us strength, give us endurance, and give us some um, eyes always fixed upon you, upon your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our loving triune God, for the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For this we pray. Amen.